Thank you again for joining us. I am Sadie Waters, and this is Neighbors in Need. And in the studio with us today is Jennifer Farringer from NCADD, which stands for National Council on Alcoholism and Drug Dependence. Thank you so much for being here again. It's a pleasure to join you as always, Sandy. And we always, every time we see each other, we always say, how are you doing? Anything new? And you give me this look like there's a lot. There's a lot new. There's a lot going on. But it's it's good stuff, right? Because we're is. talking it is. more about it. It is. We're busy, busy, busy in all aspects of the work that we do at the council. And you do a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time we bring you in, we, we try to focus on just one topic, one theme, mm-hmm. because there is so much to cover right. and so much to know. Um, so I think today's focus will be fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, FASD. Um, and that's how you hear it more referred to, right? F-A- you do, F-A- you do. Just like with autism, you rarely hear autism alone. You talk about autism spectrum disorder, and that implies just like with FASD, that there's a whole range of things that could happen from very mild to moderate to very severe impact. Okay. And that's why the spectrum. So what, break it down for us, just mm-hmm. the basics. What's the definition of it? And, and when you speak of the spectrum, what are we referring to? Sure. So FASD is an umbrella term. The older term or the term that still is used for diagnosis is fetal alcohol syndrome. But the spectrum implies everywhere from a child being very moderately or mildly affected. And you might see just a few behavioral issues going on all the way to the child that's severely impacted. And at at that point, you might start to see some of the telltale facial characteristics, severe behavioral issues, uh, severe cognitive learning difficulties. So kind of a huge range of issues, but the biggest impact is on the brain, on the development, cognitive, behavioral. In the brain, I mean, it is it is forever changed. You can't... You can't cure this. Yeah. Yeah, the best you can do is to diagnose as early as possible, put in support as early as possible to delay or perhaps prevent secondary disabilities. So if you don't diagnose early and the child goes without any support, the danger is developing other mental health issues, uh, troubles with the law, troubles with staying connected to family, school, community. So the bottom line is early diagnosis, early support, and support consistently. And do you see more of the early diagnosis now that we are aware of it? It's not so much aware. So aware is a big part of the mm-hmm. issue. The other is availab- or availability of diagnostic resources. Uh. So I'm thrilled to say that we do have that now. I say now because I've been doing this for a really long time. And in the beginning, we were always referring kids to Buffalo. That was the nearest diagnostic uh, place at Buffalo Children's. But we've had for the last number of years now at Strong's uh, pediatric development area that was part that's part of the Galasano uh, pediatric group and all that information is on our website you know where you can go for a diagnosis early intervention and support now when you first started and you knew this was something you knew there there were kids falling through the cracks because right. they were misdiagnosed and not diagnosed early enough how much of a battle was it to bring it local? What was the fight like to, was it just really you guys pounding your Mm -hmm. fists on the table and saying, listen to us? Or Mm -hmm. 
Was it really a team effort to get it? Well, lately it's been a team effort. So I think once we had moving into town, a researcher with NIAAA uh, grant monies to develop early intervention, we started to see a peaked interest in maybe we can do this here. So we were always kind of hollering from a prevention perspective mm-hmm. and an educational sp- perspective and awareness to let the community know this really is a problem. And also to make parents aware, because say you're a parent with a child with FAS and you don't know that the child has FAS and you wonder what's going on. You know, they're not meeting any of their pediatric milestones and growth and development. They're having a hard time connecting. And if you don't have the information, how do you help your child? So I think kids were falling through the crack, sometimes at the level of the pediatrician, sometimes at the level of school. Uh, sometimes at the level of, of both. And very often it was parents saying, look, I'm not crazy. I know something is wrong with my child. And now I think we're starting to get some awareness. So what we do at the council is continue to share that awareness and offer services, educational services to staff that are working with kids with FAS, even though they may not even know they yeah. have. Uh, we can su- assume with statistic, or statistically speaking, that you're going to have a child or two or three in the classroom and that might not be connecting. And this might be the reason why. So a kind of strategies to how best to handle that, how best to reach out and engage. In this type of disorder, FASD, it, there could be a day where it doesn't even exist because this is a 100% preventable. Right. Absolutely. So it's one of the very, very few disabilities um, where it's totally preventable. So obviously, if not one more woman drank during pregnancy, we would never be talking. We wouldn't have this discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's simplistically how easily it can be prevented. So part of that is the information getting out to women, a very clear message. There's no safe level of drinking at any time during the pregnancy. And I think some parts of the community have done women a disservice by not stating that clearly. Yeah. Because you can't say, well, if you have a drink in the, the first half of the second trimester, this is exactly what will happen. But we know enough in terms of what should be happening in the development of the child that if you introduced uh, alcohol, you may likely impact the development of this because you hear everybody has their story, right? Yep. Well, my grandmother drank, and they're all re- yes. they're always generations ago. Yeah, yeah. But why risk it? Exactly for exactly. that one taste, right? Why right damage somebody's forever future? Exactly, exactly. And that's why our message is the safe message: no accepted safe levels of drinking. Yeah. Obviously, obviously, the the child that's more likely to be impacted is when mom is drinking heavily, frequently. You know, that stands to the reason, but we do know that any amount during any time. And you think of the brain, when you look at how the brain develops, the brain starts developing in the unborn child from the moment of conception all the way on. So you figure any time during that nine months, the brain can be impacted in some way. Now, compared to other drugs, where does alcohol fall into the how much it impacts the yeah. brain development? And this is the one that surprises people the most. So alcohol all has the most severe impact, neurobehavioral really? impact, the most long-lasting uh, impact. Remember, what was it, 10, 15 years ago, when there was a big scare about crack babies and there would be a number of 
uh, crack babies and the problems that go with that coming into the school system and was the school system prepared. So what you see with drugs like crack, like cocaine, certainly there's an impact, but very often if the impact is long lasting, there was alcohol in the mix too. Mm. So that's more often likely to be a behavioral issue that can age out. Uh, what we're seeing now, of course, with the opioid epidemic is is more and more kids being impacted by mom's use of opioids during pregnancy. So I'm not saying there's no impact. Yeah. But the impact with alcohol is far, far more severe and far, far more long lasting. Now, the children that are suffering from this. <sighs> Describe their background. Is it from moms who don't realize that the drinking that they did do during pregnancy has impacted? You know, I'm trying yeah. to figure, or are these kids that have been adopted and we don't know what the conditions of the mom was during pregnancy? It's both, Sandy. Okay. So I can speak from, so we've been running for over a decade now an FASD parent networking and support group. And it's interesting, the majority of the parents that are involved with us right now have adopted children out of Russia. That seems to be a pattern. Uh, these families had no knowledge of FASD, and certainly when you adopt out of country, and sometimes in country, you don't benefit from having yeah. any medical knowledge whatsoever other wow. than what's literally in front of your face. So they adopt the children, they bring them home, and then they find some sooner than later. Most often they find when a child starts to connect with an academic setting, a school setting, kindergarten, you know, like, but they might start to see things earlier, like behavioral issues, or, you know, they're just not progressing when they go to their pediatric uh, visits, they're falling off that, that chart, that milestone, you know, they're smaller, they're, um, acting out more, um, they're not playing with their peers or their siblings, but it's really, really predominant when they enter school and you see a big disconnect. So it's obvious. It's Because it, some of these things that you're describing are just kids. Kids, exactly, yeah. Or two, when I go out and speak, I've heard people say, well, that describes my daughter, my son, and they're on the autistic spectrum disorder. Mm. So there is a lot of crossover. I think the, the difference here is the potential severe impact to the brain. One of our moms in our support group put it well, I'm uh, my child's executive brain. So they've had so much damage, their child has had so much damage to their brain, they can't make executive decisions. And in other words, um, you know, the, the, a decision um, perhaps that's been made or they've been talked about uh, the day before, like, don't throw the ball across the road because you run the risk of traffic coming. Well, you say that yesterday, but you can't assume that's going to stick with the child oh. tomorrow and the next day. Or there's a decision in, in front of them. I see this this thing in front of me, this bottle of water, this soda, whatever, and I want it now. Not um, in, in that, so they might be picked up or, or for shoplifting when in their mind, they simply saw something, they were attracted to that thing, and they took that thing. Yeah. You know, it's very simple. There's no connection with, no, you've got to pay for it. And it's hard to just diagnose. Take, it's very hard to diagnose. Extre- How are you supposed yeah. to? You yeah. just assume, okay, you're misbehaving, and the kid says, I don't know. Every kid's, mm-hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <gasps> this is So you diagnose. Scary. So with the diagnosis, there's some particular features. One 
if you know mom used alcohol during okay. pregnancy, but you don't always know that. Mm-hmm. Um, two, there's some facial features, although that being said, there's not always facial features involved. Yeah. But if there are, part of the diagnosis for FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome, is looking at the eyes. Um, the eyes are typically uh, wider apart. They're, they're narrower. Uh, there's a place between the nose and the upper lip called the philtrum, and there's a groove that we have naturally with kids oh. with FAS. That philtrum is is missing. It's it's long and oh, it's wide. So there's some okay. specific facial diagnostic features. Uh, the child is smaller. Their head size is smaller. So there's some specifics, and that's part of the diagnosis. And then if you have the other information, the behavioral, that just adds okay, to it. Okay, then it adds to it. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know what scares me, and it probably runs through your mind all the time, is if we say, you know, the kids that fall through the cracks are those who are adopted and there's not a lot of information about their medical history. I don't want it to deter people from adopting kids. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Just, I mean, the bottom line here isn't, and these parents will tell you, my God, they, they love their kids. They'll do anything for their kids. But if you can have the information early yeah. to get the support you need. And again, it's a spectrum. So there's kids that are doing better than others, you know, and these mm-hmm. kids are having some really, really tough times. It depends on how severely impacted. But if the parent, I mean, information is power. If you if you have at least the information and you know yeah. that, gee, something's wrong, maybe I should pursue this as a parent. Maybe I should just check out and rule this out or rule this in and then find out how can I get support for myself, my family, get them um, um, DDS services. I and mean, that's, that's what huge. It is, support. You support. recognize what support. support. And more and more agencies are focusing on uh, customizing Mm-hmm. their support, right? When we were right. growing up, it was, here's the plan, here's yeah. the picture, now fit into this puzzle exactly. that we created. Exactly. Whereas now it's more customized. Yes. Do you feel like organizations are customizing treatment for this particular disorder yet? Depends. Okay. So that's where I think we still have some gaps. Okay. Um, it really depends on the organization. So a lot of the calls we get for education or staff education we know, either we know or we suspect we have kids that we're working with um, that are impacted. So help us understand what it is. Help us understand some strategies to better work yeah. with these kids. So it's a little bit of both. Really. Because overall, they seem like, I mean, fine individuals, they just lack this. There's a disconnect between right and wrong in yeah. some cases. Yeah. yeah. And it can be to the point, if it's severe, it can be majorly acting out kind of things. Yeah. But then you have to figure out, you know, define, figure yeah. out what is it? Is it, yeah. is it from FASD? Is it, is it something else? If there's more information that you want about this fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, FASD, um, you can always go to the website. Do you want to give us the information on the website? Yeah. If you go to our website, which is ncadd-ra.org, and under programs and services, you'll see a, an area to click on for more information that gives you information about the parent support group, about the diagnostic opportunities, and some intervention programs that are in town. Wonderful. Jennifer Farringer, Director at NCADD. Thank you so much. Pleasure as always, Sandy. Thanks.